0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more.
1: We read and hear a lot these days about how actors need to be their own producers and creating their own work. In my own career, about the only thing I'm creating are self-tapes, which these days are productions in and of themselves, for sure, based on all the requirements and props and lines and technical aspects that are required to just put together a one-minute audition. But... Actually writing, producing, directing, starring in your own work is a daunting task. So I wanted to talk to someone who is not only doing this, but helps those of us novices do it for ourselves.
2: Hello, my name is Emily Grace. I am an actor, a screenwriting coach. Uh, I've written and produced and starred in and directed uh, my own film, I grew up in Maine and then New Hampshire, and I currently live in Southern California.
1: For the past 15 years, Emily has been helping actors create success on our own terms. And she comes at it not from a writing or producing angle, but as an actress herself. She even won an award at Sundance, a special jury prize for emotional truth. (laughs) I mean, that's something we all want to bring to our work, right? So, in this episode, Emily shares not only her own experiences in front of the camera, but what she has learned behind the camera as well, and how each of us can discover our own strengths and weaknesses as we venture beyond acting.
2: Like, I'm an actor, of course I know scripts, and I know how to do this, and so I had this unearned confidence that I knew how to write without really having to study it. But I didn't have the tools that I needed to really articulate the vision I had in my head.
1: Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Why I'll Never Make It. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer for more than 30 years. Every other week, I talk with fellow creatives who bring us stories from their own life of personal struggles and professional hardships with lessons we can all learn from. The website is whyilnevermakeit.com, where you can subscribe, donate, and find past episodes. Again, that's whyi'llnevermakeit.com.
2: Thank you, Patrick. I'm really excited to speak with you as well.
1: I love hearing people's original forays into theater, what got them involved. I love your Annie story. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done Annie twice myself. So it's a show that I love. I was in the ensemble once. I got to do Daddy Warbucks the second time. So it's a show that I love doing. What was your experience with Annie?
2: Well, I never got to do the show because I wasn't asked, but <laughs> so... For context, I think I was about five years old and my mom took my sister, my older sister and I to audition for Annie. And I was raised by a single mother and she really went out of her way to bring the arts into our lives and took us to shows and plays and all kinds of things. So she brought us to this audition for Annie. And my sister, who's blonde, I'm a brunette, and she's this cute little blonde And everyone talked about how cute she was and all this stuff, which of course, the jealousy, the jealousy started early. So we were at this audition for Annie and I went up and I did whatever the song or dance or whatever I was supposed to do. And then I sat down and then my sister got up and did her audition and they kept having her do it again. And they were giving her all this attention and redirection. And I just remember sitting in the theater, looking up, being like, I should be up there. Like, they don't realize I should be up there, not her. (laughs) (laughs) Insanely jealous and just felt that drive to be the one up there doing it. Uh, And of course, my sister has no interest in acting and never did that. She did not get the bug from that. She did not get the part. But that's the first memory that I have of really getting the acting bug and wanting to wanting to be the one who was up there.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, it's so interesting because that could have easily have been your last time auditioning. It's like, well, I don't want to do this again. So why why do you think that that (laughs) propelled you to want to do it even more?
2: You know, I think so many actors are just born that way. You're just born... With that desire within you, and it just—you know—I think for my sister went the opposite way. She she didn't really care about it at all. It didn't like stoke that inner creative fire. But for me, it just was like, oh, I get to do that. Like I want to be the one doing that. It just it awakened what I think was already innate within me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well. It gets us into our first story that you wanted to talk about and this is years later you're now you now have been cast in <laughs> in a movie and you have to do this emotional scene you're, you're you know you're in close up you're smoking at the time but you're not a smoker much like me I'm not a smoker as well <laughs> but on top of that the the director just didn't seem to be getting what he wanted in it now Yes so first, did you know that the character was a smoker beforehand, or was that something that happened?
2: I knew it beforehand, and you know, thinking I'm so cool at that time, I was like, "Of course, I can pull off smoking." You I know, when I anything. would go, I can do anything. I'm an actor. You know, I w- I was at that age in my twenties where actually you could still smoke in bars. So it was it was that era, and so I would smoke sometimes when I drank but i was not a smoker and it always made me feel sick and nauseous um so you know this was the first feature film i was cast in i was cast as the lead which is very exciting i was in every single scene so there you know i definitely felt the excitement of the opportunity as well as the pressure of wanting to do an amazing job and it was such a perfect it was just one of those situations where all of the stars aligned the character was from New Hampshire where I'm from she was sort of this plain scrappy person and you know I'm a very low maintenance person I'm don't I don't want to take a long time to get ready and contour and all of the makeup pressure like that's never really been my lane um so I felt like it was a very serendipitous moment in my life and it was near the end of our shoot so of course everyone's tired and you know the the drag of everything is catching up it was a night shoot and it was one of the final we we shot almost everything in sequential order which was amazing for me because it was my first film and so it was like a very emotional scene towards the end of the film and i just the smoking i just could not Get it right. Like I kept.
1: Now, had you been smoking in other scenes? So this was. In others,
2: yes. I so had smoked wasn't the in first other time, scenes. Right. It wasn't the first time, but it was the first, um, like deep, uh, like a pain. She was in a painful moment and had to cry. And it was just was like a lot of emotional pressure to deliver in that way. And just this cigarette was like, oh, I can't get it right. And I kept smoking at the wrong time. And it just was like I was messing myself up. And I knew. Dean, the director, was like, oh, "We're not getting it. We're not." He wasn't saying that to me, but I, you know, we had a rapport by then, having worked for like a month at that time, and I knew we were not nailing it. And so finally, I w- the light bulb finally went off in my mind. I was like, "Oh, just plan when you're going to inhale. Like, just just choreograph it out. Like that was it." And so I was like, "Okay, I'm going to smoke. I'm going to inhale three times. This." After this line, after this line, and after that line. And once I finally gave myself that tool, I was like, oh, now I now I can do it. And we got it. And it, you know, it was what they needed. But Isn't it's amazing
1: like, how sometimes the simplest things, the, it's like the light bulbs, like, why didn't I think of that before?
2: Yes, like it's so <laughs> simple. Just like, oh, just plan. Like if you're a singer you need to plan when you breathe in, right? Mm -hmm. You can't just (laughs) willy-nilly decide when you're going to breathe in during the song. And so, I was like, ah, so silly. Yes, it was such a silly, obvious solution. Um, But I think it's also just a, you know, it speaks to those night shoots and weeks (laughs) of shooting, you know, your brain... It, you know, it, there's a toll to filmmaking that sometimes the most obvious, simple thing isn't the first thing that you think of because you're you're just so tired and and burnt out by that point. But I we did get there. I was glad, uh, and and I never want to smoke in a movie ever again.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I had to, I. It was this short film that I was cast and they were filming in Tampa and they wanted him to smoke because he was he was that kind of character. He was kind of a, a sarcastic badass who just, you know, thought he was the king of the world kind of thing. So smoking was just part of that. But within the first scene, they realized he will never pull this off. No. <laughs> so they ended up cutting it, which I was grateful for. I think... Since I was in it, I was cast, they were filming me, you know, I think it was the best decision for them to just, okay, cut it and we'll just do yeah. other things. And, you know, you learn other ways, of course, to, uh, to portray the character. But w- what you bring up is interesting in the fact that, yes, acting is a craft, but it is also, as you say, it's a choreographed piece that you need to hit certain markers, certain anchors that can then help you with that emotionality and the creativity that comes with it. But without those anchors, those places where you know what you're doing, then the emotions, they're all over the place.
2: Yes, yes. And it's such a good, you know, you can't learn that stuff until you are in the doing of it. And I had a theater background, you know, it's my first on-camera experience. And I had never taken an on-camera class of like, here's how to... Do your eyelines, and here's how much room you have in the frame. Like I was learning all of that on this film, and you know who would have thought? Like one little cigarette <laughs> could like <laughs> like fuck up the whole throw the whole thing, the whole ending of the film. Um, what but the funny thing is, because I you know I do screenwriting now as well, and so many of the characters that I write smoke like the ones that i want to play all smoke like why why (laughs) (laughs) gotta rethink that
1: (laughs) yeah just this past week i was submitted by my agent for a role that required smoking that you know for the self tape and so i i told my agent you know i'm not really a smoker that's not really something that i i do nor do i really want to do is that a deal breaker for this he went back to them and said yes it's very important so we passed on that yeah do you find yourself, whether there's are small things like I, I don't want to smoke or bigger things like I don't want to portray this type of character, are there certain limitations that you put on the types of roles that you go out for at this point?
2: At the moment, my main focus is on running my business. I'm slowly starting to make acting a priority again. And, and from the point of view of I want to be writing and producing the stuff that I'm doing, um, because acting isn't my top priority, that my time is limited, and so for me, I'm really interested in writing the kind of characters that I want to play, which of course makes it a lot easier. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. But I think if I were to to get back into auditioning and really making acting my top focus, I don't want to get naked anymore. I had three films in a row where I had to get naked in every single one. I think I'm I'm probably past <laughs> the point of life where they're gonna want to cast you know someone in their 40s getting naked. It's gonna be the 25 year old most likely. Um, but I think I'm over on screen nudity. I'm I don't want to be smoking. That's for sure. Um, I don't know. I think it's so much case by case in terms of where you're at in your life. If you so the the movie that I was talking about with the smoking was opposite Judith Ivey, who's an amazing actress, and she had a rule, like she doesn't do repeat roles. So if she got offered something that felt very similar to a character she'd already played, she didn't want to do it because she felt like she had already done that and she wants to keep doing things that are new and fresh and exciting for her, which I think is a great rule. Um, especially if you're an actress like her, with a range. You know, some actors are only really good at playing certain types of roles. They don't have the range to stretch out of it. So I think it really depends. Like the characters I always end up playing are the, are like a hot mess. That just seems to be my wheelhouse in terms of what I play, in terms of what I write. So I'll probably stay in that wheelhouse until I grow out of it. <laughs>
1: Well, for the next story, we'll actually go back to whenever you were still in the beginning stages of this film. So before what Alice found actually went into production, there was a table read for the investors of the film. And uh, so this was when they get to hopefully invest money into it, sign off on the casting. It's a nerve wracking process. Yes. And...
2: (laughs) You know, at that time I was completely oblivious to what was going on behind the scenes, which was good for me. Um, I found out later uh, some stuff that I was like, oh, I'm I'm really glad I didn't know any of that. Um so yes, yeah, so there was a they had cast me and they'd cast Judith Ivy. And the reason that they cast me at all was because they had Judith Ivy on board. Um, So that we were in New York, you know, all living in New York, and she's a very well-known actress in New York with a the theater and and had like a good cachet for investors to want to invest in her. And the reason that they – because they originally they had wanted a name for the role that I played, but a lot of actresses turned it down because the role was, you know, she ends up getting into prostitution. And a lot of actresses at that time said, oh, I don't play prostitutes. I don't want to do that. Um, and I was like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> um, so they were able to cast an unknown in the other lead because they had a recognizable name in Judith Ivy's part. Um, so they were doing this table read for the investors. And the producer had a really good relationship with one of the investors who had this beautiful apartment like overlooking Central Park. And so they set it up to feel like money right they set it up in in her home and it was catered and invited invite only and we did it wasn't a table read of the whole script but it was like you know scenes that they had picked out for us to to perform and from there they did raise the money that they needed to get started into production but what i didn't know at the time was so the director like as soon as I walked into the audition, I think I said something like, oh, I grew up with people like this. Like, I know these people. I know what this is because the girl's from New Hampshire. And I just felt I just walked in very confidently understanding this character. And from that moment on, he was like, she's it. That's the girl that I want to cast. And the producer did not agree. (laughs) And this was what I was going on behind the scenes. I didn't know that. And he you know i was i was my first film and he wasn't sure if i could handle it and just all of the question marks about uh because i wasn't a name so so there was some behind the scenes disagreement about my casting even during the table read with the investors which i was completely unaware of thankfully and i just you know i just showed up as if i had the role because that's what i was under the assumption that i did um and i think from there He felt like the performance that I delivered made him feel comfortable, and the investors—none of the investors—objected. But like I was very new to the business that time, I didn't know like, oh, you could have been fired right then, like, like you could have lost the role easily. Um, And thankfully, I didn't know any of that, so I actually quite enjoyed that evening. It was exciting, it was nerve-wracking, and then they ended up getting the money and when i auditioned i was told they were going to start shooting like uh, like in a month and so i didn't i never heard back from the audition and i thought oh i didn't get it and i got you know i wrote it off and thought that that was it and they had actually lost all of their funding which i didn't know and so they had to put the production on pause for months and months and months and so then i heard from them again like the following year like hey we're ready to pick up again are you in and so it was this exciting new information but they had originally had all their funding and then they lost it and so they had to do another round of funding with investors
1: and so that's the table read yeah so yeah, the table read was the second,
2: a second was the second round and then we ended up shooting like a, like about a month after that
1: and so with this being your first time you know, the table read probably feels it's it's a little safer, even though you didn't know what was going on in the background. <laughs> but it feels, you know, because you have script in hand, you're with people, it's 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 a little less, less at stake, I would imagine.
2: No, <laughs> it didn't feel like that. It felt it was more, I mean, we had scripts in hand, but it was definitely the stakes were there. Like this was the event where they needed to get the money. Um so it definitely felt like the pressure to do the best possible job and you know I had an amazing mentor just watching how Judith Ivy handled it and so I just sort of took her lead and she's such a pro and just so generous and amazing so I just sort of you know, I didn't. I didn't want to let on that I didn't know what I was doing. So I, so I didn't. I just it emulated. It's its own acting. That's yes. right. its just, oh, like it's a double, double performance. The performance within the performance. I didn't want to let on that I was like nervous or didn't know what I was doing or ask a lot of questions and and feel like an idiot. And so I just sort of took my lead from her. And you know, at that time, I was very all in with acting and craft and prepared. And you know, I wanted to do a great job, and I felt the confidence. You know, I, it wasn't a role that I didn't understand or was a stretch for me or didn't feel like in my wheelhouse. I felt totally confident, like this role is mine. And I also think that attitude approaching it that way made a, a really big difference too.
1: Now in every episode, you get three stories. But if you want bonus segments with extra audition stories and the final five questions about lessons learned and what making it really means, then what you have to do is subscribe to WinMe at whyilnevermakeit.com. You just click subscribe there or here in the show notes, give this podcast a little money, and you'll get the full episodes with all the stories and bonus segments included. And another benefit of subscribing is that you won't have to listen to any ads either.
0: Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW, avoid, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
1: Well, getting into the third story, a few years later, you're now starting to produce, create your own work. And... You say that you felt incredibly rusty with this particular film project because you were acting in it. You were directing it. You're producing it. You're doing a lot of things. And you actually hated your own performance in it. Was that that throughout? Was that certain scenes? (laughs) Why why were you feeling like that?
2: So you know somewhere along the way i started a business helping actors at that time i was like learning how to market and learning how to build relationships and that sort of became this monster that took over my life um so acting kept getting pushed to the back burner um and so i was very rusty as an actor i was surrounded by actors and i you know i felt connected to the business and connected to um I used to have another business that taught an acting technique, an audition technique that was really effective. So I always felt like in the wheelhouse, but you know, you get rusty when you're not focusing on your craft and and just like what do I do with my arms? Like why is my arm over here? Like <laughs> why am I what do I like what do I do with my arms? Just becomes so uncomfortable and self-conscious. And you know, in my hyper critical. Of course, we're overly critical of ourselves. Like it's it's fine. If I watch the film now, it's fine. It's not great. Um, But it's fine. It's passable. It's not bad. You know, there's bad acting and then there's fine acting and then there's great acting. <laughs> yeah. So that was very not enjoyable. And part of it was because I had written it and I was directing it, And this is one of the things that I've learned from my own experience that I can help my clients with is if you are writing and if you are directing yourself as an actor, it's so important that you have a really good AD who knows what you're capable of, who can keep an eye on your performance, and a really good producer so that you can take off your producer hat and really carve out a bubble for yourself to to focus on your acting because I was so caught up in all the production side of it um, that I wasn't able to give myself the space I needed to get unrusty in time for the film. And once we were, you know, it was a one-day shoot. It was very fast. So, there was no chance to make it up or get better on day two. It was like day one and that's it and now you're done. Uh, So, it was a really good learning experience um but it, you know it's the worst feeling when you don't feel good about your work it's just no like, yeah oh. and then
1: it's like it's there forever it's, it's on yes. it's on film You're <laughs> just, It's not right. going anywhere <laughs> i was going to ask about the different hats because you had so many hats when it came to this particular film and as you say it's only one day but of course it was weeks probably months leading up to that one day that it yes. took to get there did that feel empowering to be doing so much or did it feel chaotic
2: it was – I think it was a mix of of all of those feelings. It was definitely empowering. It was an idea I had been thinking about for years and tried to write in different formats. And I finally just said, I'm doing this. Like I'm done talking about it. I'm doing it. I don't care what I have to do to get it done. I'm getting it done. So, that was empowering. Um, what wasn't empowering at that time Which is what inspired me to do what I do now is I didn't really know how to write. (laughs) Like, I'm an actor, of course, I know scripts and I know how to do this. And so I had this unearned confidence that I knew how to write without really having to study it. Um, So my script wasn't, you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. I had a vague idea of what I was doing, but I didn't have the tools that I needed to really articulate the vision I had in my head. Um, and I ended up doing this film through a program, so it was like a filmmaking residential program. So everyone was there to make their film, and then you would crew on each other's projects. And that's one of the reasons why it w- the shoot was only one day. You know, we had four hours to to do it, and that was it. That was our slot. Um, so th- a lot of that stuff didn't feel empowering because it wasn't decisions that I got to make. I had to go with the goals of the program.
1: But at the same time, the program was educational, right? So it was there for you to learn all these things.
2: Yes. Yes. I learned so much from that program. And I think what what became empowering is having done it in that container made me realize I can do this myself. I can do this on my own terms, um, which is what I really took away from that. I mean, it, you know, I would never have felt that way if I hadn't. I I got so much out of that program. I just didn't get what I f- expected I was going to get, which was like this amazing film that I wanted to show to everyone. And like it's a beautiful shot film. It's beautifully lit. Like it looks amazing. Um, but it's not really the story that I envisioned and it's not the performance that I had hoped.
1: I just got back from uh, BroadwayCon recently, and of the panels that I attended, there was a lot of discussion about producing your own work, creating your own thing, be your own boss for us as actors, you know, to not just sit by and wait on permission to do or be cast in something. And it is a wonderful idea, but it's hard. It's really hard to produce your own stuff. And it's a, there's a reason why so many actors go through the grind of auditioning and just doing other work. Rather than doing it yourself, what was it that made you want to get off one treadmill for a much bigger and harder <laughs> treadmill?
2: <laughs> it's challenging, but I think once you know this, I think the biggest overwhelm for actors is that they don't know what to do. And that's the biggest thing that stops them from producing their own work. You know, it's one of the reasons why I started my own business. I like to be able to make quick decisions and take fast action. That is my personality type. Um, So having to wait for some audition to come along and hoping that my agent could get me in and then praying that I was the one that booked it, it just doesn't – if that's the only thing that I'm doing, that doesn't work for me. I want to – I feel a burning desire to get going and get stuff done and get results and get to the finish line. And that's, I think, the best type of personality to to make your own films. You know, it's not a good fit for everyone. And if you don't have a burning desire to do it, you really shouldn't because as you're saying, it is it's a slog, it's a lot of work, but it it suits me and it, for me I love acting and I really love storytelling and I think it's an amazing tool For connections and for expanding your horizons and changing someone's mind. And I really wanted to be able to make stories, whether I'm acting in them or not. That is part of the satisfaction as well. It's not just something for me to act in, but it's creating something in general that has a beginning, middle, and end that other people can be impacted by. And it is a lot of work like we can't but so is auditioning right like so is networking yeah
1: it's its own job yeah
2: they're all a lot of work so so i really enjoy the ability to create something whether someone picked me or gave me permission to do it or not
1: yeah i'm just getting into producing other works myself just kind of venturing into this new uh, side of the business. And it's really been eye opening to see what all goes on before us actors are ever cast. What yes. goes on, the, the finances and how, yes, money is always important, but it is like essential to get anything off the ground because anyone can write something, but that doesn't mean it's going on to the stage. Anyone can have an idea for a film, but that doesn't mean it's going to get produced. That's so right. the, the finances are so important and all the producing that goes into it. How have you been able to find and maintain creativity and, you know, all the wonderful craft that goes with this business while doing the business part?
2: So I love what I do. (laughs) That's part of it. I help actors learn how to screenwrite. And then we we guide them through the process of self production so i'm in an environment of creative people all the time which for me is very inspiring i get a lot of fulfillment from seeing from helping someone take the idea in their head and and showing them how they can express it on the page and one of the reasons why i'm very passionate about helping people learn how to write shorts is because of that money piece a short is much more doable the finances are not going to be anywhere near what they would for a feature um so i try to help people and that was like the brilliance of that program that i mentioned earlier is the scripts had to be like four or five pages which can be done in a 4 hour shoot and you know they they really showed me how to make something producible you know i'm i'm writing a short right now that i'm going to be filming in my house so i've got the location already it's two actors i'm one of them you know just anything that we can do to keep the budget as low as possible and then what gets exciting is get it it's not just the making of the film it's what you do with it being on the festival circuit is is such a like chicken soup for the creative soul like It's the best environment. You're not only showcasing your film and getting uh, like positive feedback, but you're meeting all kinds of other filmmakers and you can create connections from there and sometimes meet people with money. Like people with money go to film festivals. And like for me, I love the process of creating something, going to a festival and using that as your calling card and the door to open other doors to bigger stuff rather than like trying to make a feature the first thing you ever write. My God, the pressure and the stress and then the money, like how are we going to raise this? We can't do it. And then you have to put yourself out there to raise the money, which is so uncomfortable for so many people, yet so essential. And so I I am a huge proponent of shorts. I find them very creatively fulfilling, very tangible um, and then they can springboard you to bigger stuff where you don't have to be the one in charge of everything and raising the money yourself.
1: Because then you can hopefully, if the short does well, it gets some attention, you network as you as you were alluding to, then yeah, you can bring more people on board that have maybe other skills that you don't have that can make a project bigger.
2: Yes, or they come to you, like the money people, the producers, they're looking for a certain type of show to fill their roster, and you have the right tone, and then they are coming to you, which is even more exciting, right? When the money people start coming to you (laughs) instead of the other way around, that makes your life so much easier.
1: Exactly. Well, Emily, this has been such a great conversation with you. I really appreciate you sharing your stories, but also like – throwing those little nuggets of wisdom along the way. So it's been great talking to you.
2: Thank you so much, Patrick.
1: Thank you so much for joining Emily Grace and me today. And remember, you can get access to bonus content and the full conversation with Emily by going to it.com and click subscribe or just look for the link in the show notes. Well, that about does it for me. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast, which is a production of Win Me Media, with Maria Clara Ribeiro as co-producer. Background music used in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions and John Bartman. Be sure to join me next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it.